What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit. Well, hello! Hello! Well, hello! <laughs> You're there, Grace. I'm here. Hello. Can you not hear me? Yes. <laughs> Merry Fine. Christmas, Mr. Potter! Wow. <laughs> You're there. You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. All right, Grace. Yeah. You got my notes. I did. I even read them, which was good because I had to do some preparing. I know. It required both <laughs> of you doing some preparing. Yeah. Um, Perfect time for me to have to do research. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. You know, it's just the one time a year I ask you to do a little prep work. <laughs> and all we do is complain. <laughs> and Paul's already starting to push back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, there's no time left in the session to have another go. Oh. 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 oh, that's great, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be taken by Harry Hunter. Getting the car out of the way. It's going to cost us time. I know he thinks he's quick, but he's not. If I don't avoid that, he's just going straight to my car. Honestly, what are we doing? Racing or big block? Park for May for podcast number 661, the holiday special. 
absolutely elated to be recording the holiday special. This is Todd. No, Todd, not now. A.K.A. Negative Camber. And you know why I've asked you here. You must convince the villagers that I'm harmless. That's exactly what I need you to do. Tonight's a little different format, folks, because it is a holiday special. And what better way to ring in the holiday special uh, without, you know, having special guests and having a special format. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So tonight... Uh, Kingsbridge BCP brings you the 2019 holiday special episode starring our very own Paul and Grace. Say hello, Paul and Grace. Hello. Hey, Paul. Hey, Grace. <laughs> hey, hey, hey we're Todd. together again. We're getting hey, the band. That sweater you got on there, Grace. Oh, well done. it's a nice, it's a delightful sweater, Grace. <laughs> yeah, it's itchy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually wearing old merch. I feel like it should still get a shout out. Oh yeah, yeah, it should yeah. get a shout out. Absolutely. I own well, a lot of it. <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. It's exciting. Oh boy. So, um, Grace, are you and your husband up there rehearsing your big uh, your big finale song you're going to do at the family get together, where you and you and your husband stand up and sing "Baby, It's Cold Outside." <laughs> Okay, first of all, you clearly have never met my family. Like, that seems like a terrible idea that we should have a singing of any sort. Okay. Um, seems like a bad idea. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and maybe not. Maybe it's cold outside. But, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. I know what Paul's been doing. What have I been doing? <laughs> Paul, We're waiting. You're, you're up to your nose and all things Aston Martin right now. That I am. Daytona, Aston Martin. Yes, oh, I am nice. up to... The armpits and that stuff, but so it's Paul, all good fun. It's all good fun. It's just it uh, it's a lot it's of just work. a lot. It's yeah. a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. So, Paul, for those that didn't see the announcement, uh, let our listeners know your big announcement this week and what you're going to be doing. Yeah, my big announcement is that I have taken a position with the uh, Heart of Racing team as sporting manager. So I'm going to be helping out our good friend Ian James, who just created this team. And um, yeah, it's been it's it's cre literally creating a team um, of people we know and people who we've heard of. But basically, we're trying to get all these people to work together, and then we're getting prepared for the first race, which is the biggest race of the year, which is the Daytona 24-hour race. So it's Ooh. it's there's so many things to take care of, you know, just general fundamentals of creating a team but then also at the same time creating the team and also being prepared to be in Daytona in two weeks time with a car rolling out and knowing which way to go with it you know so <laughs> yeah. that's yeah, awesome it's, yeah it's it's good stuff well you know Grace and I want to know with all that you know rumbling in the press about Lawrence buying a big portion of Aston <laughs> have you bumped into Lawrence yet? No I and, and if you have has, has you he know, stood up and adjusted his junk in front well, of you? Well you know that that's exactly where I'm going to go. <laughs> oh, we walk in the room and go, are you done? Hey, Larry, <laughs> knock it off. You know, if you are in a meeting of ultimately or eventually with Lawrence, like Grace said, just stand up and put your hand down your pants and adjust your junk in front of him. See how he likes it. <laughs> this one's for Claire. Yeah, that's yeah. for Claire. Damn it. Oh, boy. 
Yeah. Well, it's exciting. I can tell you that over at the Camber residence, it's been nonstop this holiday season. But I'm excited because tonight I thought we would mix things up a little bit and I would actually make Paul and Grace do a little work this time around. No more Kimi Raikkonen of the podcasting. No, this time they actually got to work to actually entertain you and be occasionally insightful and do a little research. Uh, little did I know that uh, Paul was up to his eyeballs in all things Aston Martin trying to field a race car in two weeks. So um, caught him on a bad uh, bad time to heap homework on him. But he graciously... Yeah, I've been staring me retired for like five years and then it's like all of a sudden i got to work. Yeah. yeah, right. So I thought, well, this would be fun, you know. And it's the holiday season. Look, the teams, you know, in keeping with the spirit of the season, the teams have all been releasing their fun videos and holiday cheer content and it's awesome but not us no we here at tpf we take things a little more seriously you see we don't fall for those cheap parlor tricks folks we tend to face all f1 seasons with a very sober reflection and yes sometimes it can contain a certain level of what grace might call opprobrium but that's how focused we are on f1's ultimate success so after watching another season of DRS-fueled buffoonery in which over <laughs> half of the season was spent listening to Mercedes fully engaged in patronizing pearl clutching about, oh my gosh, I just don't know how we're going to be able to hold Ferrari off this weekend. You know, I just, I mean, you know, right now we're just hoping we can qualify. I mean, we're just hoping we can get some points out of this race. And we had to hear that for over half a season and it turns into an absolute Mercedes dominance once again. I think thought you know it's the holiday season it's maybe time f1 was visited by somebody like the miserly scrooge before them f1 has reached a point in this holiday season that it is finally going to be receiving a visitor or three you are going to be visited by three ghosts tomorrow at noon that tomorrow's bad for me lou <laughs> tomorrow's bad for me lou this is our dickens style version of an f1 carol that i thought might be fun to do and starting it off, since there's three of us, what better way to do this than each of us representing a ghost of Chris or of F1 past, ghost of F1 present, and ghost of F1 future? And the first one up that we're going to start off with, the ghost of F1 past, comes to us in a not not just like a, a Christmas Carol ghost. This is more of a of a cool version of it because this ghost wears jeans a west ham t-shirt a leather jacket and he has a shock of hair red as the fire in the hell <laughs> yeah i can't remember which one was the the one that passed out was the scary one was it or the future one was the really scary one that was the real scary one yeah. i think you need some chains i feel like we should have gotten you some like <laughs> chain noise you could drag the chains that yeah. well, i got good. chain wallet on does that count <laughs> sure that's awesome <laughs> I don't actually, but I thought. So. Oh, you do now. It's oh. out there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's out, out there. there. I got my my jorts on and my chain wallet, and um, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Who Man. let the German guy into the paddock? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, Paul, as the ghost of Christmas, or I keep saying Christmas past, the ghost of F1 pass. You know, 
I'm, I'm thinking that if you grabbed F1 by the scruff of the neck during your visit and dragged it back into the past, you would start to point some key moments in the past of F1 that really kind of set the trajectory of where we are today, right? Is there some things yeah. that stood out that you might, you know, it, it might do F1 well to recall these moments? Yeah, I mean, like all in life, right? If we don't look back in the past and see what evolved, then we're just relearning the same mistakes again and again, which, yeah. oddly enough, Formula One seemed to do quite well, actually. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ground effect, no, that's horrible, that's evil, it's going to kill everybody. Nope. Hey, let's lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bring it back. Fueling? <laughs> no. Yes, no. Yes, no. Um, <laughs> oh, we fail again, yes. Yes. We need them to go much faster. No, we need them to go a lot slower. So, we need yes. more passing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously, as I think Formula One has evolved from way back when, you know, I've been, you know, a, a student of the past, even when I was a little kid, quite honestly. So it's, it's pretty cool to look back and just kind of see some of these milestones again and when they happened and where they happened and what evolved from them. Um, looking back, obviously, one of the big things of nowadays is aerodynamics, right? Mm, so. Yeah. Um, when did aerodynamics, or at least downforce of aerodynamics, right. really, really come into play? I mean, uh, aerodynamics were always kind of thought about. You know, that's why we had the cigar-shaped cars. We didn't have a brick. Uh, that's why the Volvos were never great F1 cars back then. Um, so they're they're aware of the era, but once they really got their head around it, and in one of the key. Uh, people involved in a lot of evolution of Formula One cars was, of course, Lotus. Right. And um, they were actually the ones that actually brought aerofoils into Formula One for the first time way back in 1968. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it was the gold uh, leaf car, if memory serves correct. Uh, I think, Wasn't it? Yeah, was it the gold leaf? Uh, it could have been. Yeah. I can't remember gold leaf. I always remember, I always picture the gold leaf car as being in you know, 1970. Um tragically but um yeah i guess the car yeah the lotus 49 was the car that's that my car the, man white. yeah yeah and actually i like the gold leaf livery actually i do too um, yeah because yeah. i always wanted the the newer lotus whichever one you want to pick would have picked that livery over the uh, the jps scheme because i thought that was a bit more interesting but yeah. anywho but yeah so aerofoils first came in the 68 and now dramatically changed the speed of the cars and yeah. um and it was probably the most dramatic change to a, a racing car that ever happened up until maybe when ground ground effect came into play. It's one uh, of those moments in the past that that left an indelible mark on Formula One, Paul, in the sense that you you put a wing on, and all of a sudden it starts this development evolution that has obviously gone and reached its complete over the top logical conclusion. But when you look at the impetus of when it started, you know, or you put a wing on, well, that puts different pressure on suspension. So suspensions have to be designed, technology has to be brought in, tire technology has to change, right? 
Mm. Yeah. Um, and so all of these have a knock-on effect that start to spiral then through the decades. And then and then we get to, what was it, Paul, like early 2000s when there must have been 600 little winglets all over the cars. It was just ludicrous where it got to. Right, right. I had to remember when I was a kid. I drew when when I first saw the, the ground effect car, the Lotus seventy eight, mm-hmm. and I I misrepresented what they actually how it actually worked at the time, um, a little bit. But then I you know I started I was always drawing pictures of Formula One cars, so I drew Formula One cars with all these little winglets on them way back when. How did I know you know <laughs> that in the future that would actually be the thing to do? But um, what are you doing next year? Have you uh, thought about working over at Williams maybe? Or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're the wrong ghost. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should have been the ghost of future. Yeah, yeah maybe. That's it. Everything's cyclical, cyclical, I guess, right? Yeah. So, and then then things evolve with the wings. Obviously, Lotus mm-hmm. brought out the ground effect car in the '77, '78, and they didn't quite have a huge advantage instantly, like when the Eurofoils first came in. And yeah. uh, also, backtrack a little bit. Um, that's when the cars became more dangerous. They were going faster, but as you said, not everything on the cars was actually beefed up to be able to take that kind of load. And then they came up with the big aerofoils and the big sticks, yep. and then things started breaking and collapsing, and then the teams really found out that it, when you've got aero and all of a sudden it goes away, that can have some severely tragic circumstances. Mm. So yeah. um, governing bodies had to take control of the aerodynamics, so so to speak, and start coming up with the rules to control how those aerodynamics um, were able to be utilized. Yeah. And then ground effect came out, and then that that was a whole nother step um, in using the air to stick that car down the ground. And then we had the fan car, and as I said, the ground effect was actually won out in the end. Um, and those cars were crazy to drive. Um, I've spoken to a few drivers who drove the Formula 1 cars back then and they had the sliding skirts and the cars were just yeah. sucked down the ground um, just just dramatic once again differences for the drivers to adapt to I was I, I was always kind of curious I can't recall and it, it, it seems like maybe it was Nicky Lauda I don't remember but one of the articles I read that if something happened and you lost that ground effect it was immediate I mean boom yeah. you were off you know. Yeah, I mean, a, fr- a friend of mine, actually, Desiree Wilson, she was the only Formula One woman, woman to win a Formula One race up until this point. Yeah, anyway, um, it wasn't a non-championship race anyway, but she was telling me that with the sliding skirts were the worst thing because you had so much grip when everything was working right. But if you just clipped a curb and one of those um, skirts got jammed, mm. all of a sudden, all that aerodynamics was gone. That you know, basically the, yeah. the seal was broken, and you went into the next turn. You can't feel it. You turn in, and that car is now a thirty mile an hour less capable of getting around the same turn. So you just literally just flew off the road and crashed. Yeah. And um, obviously, back then the safety wasn't quite up to that par either. That's no. a whole other story. But yeah, so aerodynamics starting in '68, and we're still we're still going with it. And now we're trying to once again still trying to trap them in little boxes. And now we're going all the way back to the late '70s with the ground effect car mm-hmm. minus the skirts, right? To uh, hopefully alleviate some of the issues that we have with cars following other cars because the ground effect doesn't rely so much on the air over the car. It's more about pushing the air under the car. So hopefully those things in the future, Grace, may 
May, <laughs> if they get it right and they can all bloody agree, which uh, we haven't seen yet, um, may bring back some other closer racing anyway. Right. Right. Yes. Now we're to the ludicrous stage of aerodynamics and yeah. going back, uh, you know, to the point now where it's so ludicrous that they've designed these cars where they're impossible to be followed, right? And now we have to have DRS in order to even... Uh, you know, have some realistic passing opportunities. And yeah. that's where it all started, you know, back then um, when it happened. But look, so, But you look back and when you think about which cars were the most beautiful, you know, I, I think like the late 80s, early 90s, those cars were the most beautiful. And they still had fairly decent aerodynamics, but they didn't have multiple aerodynamics on their car. They still had the one rear front wing, one rear wing, which is what supposedly F1 is getting closer to in the future. So maybe hopefully we can see some more more beautiful Formula maybe 1 Maybe we'll get back together. to the 7-Up car. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was that, was that era, right? The yeah. late 80s, early 90s, there was some beautiful – the Ferrari was great, the the – the Jordan was great. The McLarens yeah. were, were awesome looking. And, and they were unique to themselves, too, because they still hadn't, once again, the rules still hadn't pigeonholed everyone into a little box where there really wasn't a lot of movement. So all the cars end up being very cookie cutter and similar. Right, right. Cool. What else would yeah. you hunt down in the past? Well, I mean, there's a few little effects here. I was talking about the Bernie effect is a massive one, right? Yeah. I mean, this guy had his fingerprints on F1 since 1958, actually. He tried to qualify for a couple of Grand Prix. He failed. But um, after maybe he couldn't make it as a, as a driver, he came on and tried, basically worked his way into taking full control of the sport, Um just, just you know, when sponsors came in and about the same time as Aerofoils, really, yeah. the, you know, the money started rolling in. Um, and then Bernie really could probably saw that as an opportunity. Um, and so, 71, he bought Brabham and then bought himself a seat on the FOCA board, uh, which is the Formula One Constructors Association, all the way. And then it took him seven years to then be president. And then not long after that, um, he got involved in gaining the TV rights and selling the rights and just gaining a lot more of the financial control of the sport. And from there, it just, it kind of blossomed in many ways. Um, and he's a, his bank account certainly blossomed as well. Yeah, no doubt. <clears throat> you know, securing what the TV rights on a sweetheart deal for 99 years with his buddy Max at the FIA who sold it to him. <laughs> that, was, that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe if Scrooge is looking back, he might be thinking maybe he might want to get involved in those conversations yeah. just a little bit. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I mean, Bernie did, has done a lot of good. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, but maybe, you know, he also, him, him controlling it as much as he did, maybe he could have been evolved a little bit better. I'm not so sure. Um, obviously, the, the shackles are off a little bit. Uh, more recently, once he's left in in access to um, all kinds of content, etc. But um, Bernie just, he, I think he was he made F1 what it is today um, at the beginning by being you know a maniacal leader, right? Yeah, and sure. Basically, and I, and I don't think he could have made it where it was without him being that way. But there was probably a time along the way where maybe that needed to 
be shifting, but he certainly did, as has been noted many times, make a lot of millionaires out of Formula One team owners. Yeah, he did, you know, but it, there is a there there are some of those key moments where I mean, he, as you say, I mean, he's he clearly had his foot on the neck of Formula One for decades, right? And and but there were some real key moments in the past that um, you know that he went left with Formula One when they probably could have went straight or right and you know had a better series in the long run and i think in the most recent example of that there was an article that came out uh, this last week where uh when bernie was still in charge the formula one was sending cease and desist letters to lewis for you know taking small you know videos on instagram and posting them from inside the paddock right and and mm-hmm. that's you know th- all that did is upset fans when when formula one would say none of the drivers can do any of the social media from the paddock and and the f- lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Fans, that's their one chance to get access and see behind the scenes or behind the curtain. And I think uh, that was something that, that Bernie, you know, that Formula One probably. We could have done a lot better sooner, you know. Yeah, it's interesting how that evolved because you know there there has been so many personalities in Formula One. You know, when we look back to the seventies, the James Hunts and the and the yeah. Nicky Lauders and and them basically, you know, being family favorites or fan favorites, you yeah. know, because they were allowed to say and do what they want, and then gradually that contracted, didn't it? And I think I think one point in that. Um, that I kind of noted was Ron Dennis. You know, when 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 mm. Ron Dennis took control of McLaren in 1981, he basically changed ha- changed how every Formula One team had to go about their business. Nice, uh, Ron. That's exactly <laughs> what he did. Yeah, yeah and, you know, he, he he. It was all sort of very stiff corporate. You know, the drivers couldn't just speak their mind like James would have done. Right? It was. Um, at the height of the marketing investment period and sponsorship investment period where they were all pretty convinced that the drivers were now speaking for sponsors, you know, in that sense. Um, And they couldn't be maybe as forthright. And, you know, in a lot of ways, maybe this is because the money was too big, you know. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, the only thing he couldn't really contain was the the Senna Prost war. You know, that was just too right. big to to really strangle it down. But um, just the way he built McLaren uh, from the driver's side and presentation side from the team, how the team had to go about their business on a daily basis, um, preparing the car. I mean, everything was perfect, right? Perfect McLaren 
presentation and it, it, and it built him a lot of success. And so every team then had to change how they went about it. It couldn't be lax. Um, they couldn't show up in shorts, you know? Right. And, then the, and then the money did get big. It got really big. And, and that just pushed that to an even higher height because the stakes were even higher. Um, and you had to deal with bigger corporations to be able to actually fund your F1 team. You couldn't do it with, you know, the local hotel down the road mm-hmm. and uh, the local restaurant feeding you sandwiches. You had to um, really be a part of the corporate structure of, of the world. And yeah. and a lot of responsibility came with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good point. Anything else strike you as the past? <clears throat> I mean, one one thing that just kind of trying to change, I think, was a pivotal point in where we are now, is honestly the center effect um, mm. from 1994. Yeah, um, it really changed a lot on how F1 or FIA went about their business. It, it made them have to strive for safety in a very visual way. Mm-hmm. Um, it changed track design. It, it got rid of those exotic fuels you brought out earlier. Um, they had the, the cars now had to run with legality plank, planks. Um, the, the, the design of the cars became a lot stricter on the basis of safety, yeah. right? As, as Grace loves to talk about, right? When you get safety. And, and so a lot of things changed and the control that the FIA had in, in, in the rule package was really based off a lot of to do with the the, the incidents at, at Amola and it kind of opened the book where they could rewrite everything whenever they want to on, on the basis of that. So right. it, I mean, we've had the rules change there, there and back where they're trying to find that place for safety, but have the thrill of racing, so to speak. And as I said, we've had ground effect band. We had, you know, all kinds of things, you know, we had driver raids all the way, you know, up till 93. Was that when they all got demolished? Yeah, 94 was when they started taking them away actually. But yeah, yeah, so all kinds of things changed with Senna dying and basically giving the FAA the, the wherewithal to, just rewrite everything. And I think that really started pigeonholing the designers in where they could and couldn't go and um, ended up where with the million winglets, but also ended up now where the cars don't necessarily don't have an open book to design them on either. That's a great point, Paul, because if you think about, there are several um, in the motorsport community that argue that safety has gone too far. You know, um, that there's only so much you can do. A car traveling 200 miles an hour crashing has a tremendous amount of energy to dissipate. And you can try to make it as safe as you can. But, and I'm not saying I'm one of them, but I, but I know that there are some motorsport pundits uh, that were race car drivers who feel like it's, it's gone overboard. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, but it's certainly restricted uh, a lot of that open development that uh, that Formula One was on that trajectory, for better or for worse. It just depends on the yeah. view on it. Yeah, yeah and I, I hate. I, I think peril should be used as a better word than than um, safety in a way. I, I think the drivers should be at peril if they go off the track, but not not to the fact where they get hurt. Right? There should right. be consequences and you know we've we've taken away those consequences and implemented rules and and penalties instead, right. uh, which I don't think any of us want 
to see. Um, I don't think the drivers like it, and, and no one wants to, you know, see some penalised for something um, with second penalties or fines or anything like that. Right. I think you know it should be immediate. Um, you make a mistake, then so, you know it's going to affect how your race goes. Not oh my god, I've just passed that white line. Now I'm going to have to drive back past that white line again to get back on the track. Right. You know, so <laughs> drive around the bollard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's you know it's it's you know the Paul Ricards of the world. You know they need to go away. There needs to be, and that's why we love seeing the older tracks now still yeah. because yeah. they can't get rid of that factor of it yet. Right. You know, and we don't want them to either. No, no, that's for sure. Excellent. Anything else before we move on? Um, no, I mean just just a general push to incorporate make things more exciting, make every race more exciting, somehow replicate, you know, Montreal, whenever the hell that was, you know. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. When that begat the, the, HD tires. Yeah, the chase yeah. for the super exciting race every single time, which, which you know, and, and, you know, everyone's getting a rosette now. We used to have six six drivers get points, then it went to eight, now it's a ten, yeah. you know. Everyone, everyone gets a point. It used to be a real struggle to get a point. A lot of good, good drivers back in the seventies, sixties, and seventies never got a point just That's because right. of that that ruling. So, um, you know, there's definitely been change Formula One to get more fan input. But you know, think about how how much fans there were all the way back in the seventies. Masses of fans oh, out there. And you know, I, I understand there's more things for people to do and easily, easily to get distracted, etc. But um, they weren't all bomb burners, you know. But it was the thrill of the cars, the sound of the cars, yeah. the will, you know, the racing drivers going through a corner. It wasn't just all you needed to see five thousand passes. Um, you could uh, back then people appreciated the art and the chess game that was Formula One. And I think, you know, as, I think what we need to do is portray that to people that maybe haven't been involved in the sport so they can get it, you know, and appreciate that. Because I think it's it's an important part of Formula One, um, something I really, really enjoy. And I said, I can enjoy a Formula One race without there being a billion passes every race because you know the underlying history and the build-up and why this is happening and what's actually going on through the whole race to appreciate it. And as long as we show that to people, people are pretty darn intelligent and hopefully will appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, hey, stick to your ghost there, buddy. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> You're stepping on Grace's toes, man. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> that's it, man. Game over. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's a good uh, ghost of Christmas past, Paul. I, uh, I appreciated going on that little journey with you. That was fun. I like it. Well, as you've guessed, Grace is the uh, ghost of Christmas future. That leaves me as the ghost of Christmas or F1 present. Yes. So as Paul dumps Formula One out in the cold night, there he is on a country road. I pick F1 up and I usher F1 into the present. So what would I do to show Formula One maybe where it could be stepping on itself and and where it could have a change of heart. I guess, really, uh, I would take Formula One on a trip to Williams F1's corporate offices to see Tiny Frank. <laughs> That's right. I, I would love take, Tiny Frank. Yeah, who doesn't love Tiny Frank? So I would take Formula One to see 
Tiny Frank, yes, Tiny Frank and Claire would be sitting around a folding card table with lawn chairs, warming their hands over a smoky smudge and splitting a Cadbury egg this holiday season. Ooh, this, I love those things. I know, yeah. The soft. Not for Christmassy, though. No, they're not. But no, you need a, need a, need a Terry's ch- chocolate orange to make it really chocolate orange. Exactly, exactly. They're splitting a chocolate orange, as Paul said. They're sharing <laughs> it. The soft sounds of erasers and the crumpling of paper coming from the design office could be heard. And every once in a while, Claire would look at her treadbare shoes and Tiny Frank's flat-spotted left wheel on his wheelchair, and he wonder. How it all went wrong, right? So as Formula One and I stood there looking at this sad sight, I would remind Formula One about how their $30 million a year engine deals bankrupted HRT, Marussia, and Caterham, and how it's left Williams effectively on life support, as well as sprayed investor repellent on any possible new teams coming into the series. I would then take Formula One to see the, a jovial party, something a little happier than what was going on at Williams, and I would take them to see the engineering divisions at the big teams like Mercedes and Ferrari, Red Bull, Renault, those folks, and I would take them to these big holiday parties inside those companies with all 1,200 employees, huge wind tunnels, mega computers for CFD, massive motor homes, carbon fiber autoclaves, graphics departments, marketing departments, software development and code writers working on algorithms to hack the system. And we'd spend time wondering why all of this is actually needed to offer fans simple, entertaining racing. Hmm. So then, as Formula One pondered that on its tree of woe, next, I would intend on taking Formula One to a production studio. But we could never quite get there due to the fact that we both would be stuck. We both look like digital artifacts and we would both buffer our way to a grinding halt, unable to see the fruit of Formula One's streaming labor, as it were. When then... Since we couldn't make it to the stream F1 streaming uh, uh, production studio, I would take Formula One to Netflix, and I would we would both stand there and we would both watch as the editing crew beavered away at making the second season of Drive to Survive the banner flagship piece of marketing genius that came out of Formula One last year. Except this year, it will be bloated. And they'd be working on this editing. It will be bloated with the majority of the time of the series focused on Mercedes and Ferrari now that they're in it. And in doing so, they would lose that edgy underdog vibe of the first season that everyone loves so much. And we would slowly understand that while F1 isn't producing great racing, it certainly can make a documentary that hides that very fact with some really nice Game of Thrones-style screenwriting and storyboarding efforts that actually makes the viewer give a damn about 13th place. <laughs> so that's what we would do. And then finally, I would show F1 two starving fans. And that f- those fans, the first fan's name would be Ignorance, and the second fan would be named Want, just like the Dickens novel. Ignorance 
would be drooling and smiling with a black eye and prattling on about technology being the most important thing in Formula One as they thumb through a dog-eared brochure about F1 being solely responsible for ridding the world of climate change. They would be yelling that more passing is the biggest need in F1 and therefore DRS and HD tires are marvelous inventions. Meanwhile, I would introduce Want, the other fan to Formula One, and Want would be a little lump of a fan whose gray hair, he has gray hair and smells of petrol and urinal cakes from the Watkins Glen's restroom. They would still bring up Bernie anytime someone mentioned F1, thinking that somehow he's still involved, and then they would constantly remind all around them of the Villeneuve-Patrese battle and how epic that was, and the glorious sound of v12 engines that full on not like these crap engines that formal formula one has now and i would show formula one a this sort of package as far as i guess formula one present and i i would hope that formula one present would look at that and say yeah there's a few things to work on there that's that's messed up man Let's form a committee and take a look at this. <laughs> we need to get Ross Braun on this quick. <laughs> He's our only hope. <laughs> exactly. Obi-Wan Braun. Yeah. Obi-Wan Braun. I like it. Yeah, I, I like Obi-Wan Braun. And Obi-Wan Braun, you know, would walk in and go, You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> That's true, Obi. <laughs> then the aerodynamic committee or whatever. It was. <laughs> then yeah. the FIA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Well, that's my list, folks. Um, those are the things I think I would show Formula One as good examples of kind of where we are presently. You know, you've got this fan, you know, you've got old fans, you've got new fans, and. I think in a lot of ways, both of them are a little out to lunch. And you've got um, a lot of things going on that they're trying to do, not trying to do. You have the haves and the have yachts. And, um, and that's where we are. And it all started back in Paul's little trip to develop to, to where we are now. Yeah. And, it's it, it's difficult, right? Because it's a big bloated baby, <laughs> and how do you how do you reduce that to where it really should be? As rightfully so, you know. How does that really? All these people, how's all this technology really make the the racing better or uh, more entertaining? And uh, it doesn't, right? But there, yeah. there's it, but there, but also a bit of the allure of Formula One is the technology race, right? It I is. mean. We, yeah. We get excited about it. Oh, you know, you know, you know how 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 much more excited was I when I saw a six wheel Tyrrell? When I saw the fan car? Yeah, uh, when yeah. I saw the ground effect yeah. car? You know, I mean, and all these other innovations. I, I wasn't that excited about the double diffuser because I couldn't see it, but you know, right, right, right. <laughs> sure, it was great. You know, <laughs> but um, it's it. So how do you how do you bring it down to a reasonable place yeah. that where there's enough technology, but 
you know the the teams aren't so bloated it, it really is you know who would in their right mind as an independent want to come in and start their own f1 team because all they're seeing is just a, a shred of you know and you're just dumping your money right into it right um, it's so true paul because there was that notion you know a few years ago um after the hybrid engine was released and all the complexity of the engine and and the harvesting and all this stuff, and I remember some of the naysayers at the time after it, it wasn't resonating and it was super expensive. And I remember some of the naysayers at the time that had kind of come around. They were on board to begin with, but then it just wasn't making a lot of sense to them. And I remember the time um, them making the comment, which is kind of what you just mentioned, is like nobody sees any of this. I mean, it could be the most outrageously awesome tech in the world, but fans don't see any of it. It's all under an engine cowling. Nobody gives a damn. Nobody sees any of this stuff. And the message isn't resonating. And then remember the FIA and Formula One quickly came out and said, well, I think it's really great tech. We're just not doing a very good job of explaining to the fans how awesome this is. Right. And to their credit, I think Mercedes uh, it did a lot of content that they generated to try to help coach the fan along uh, of why their engine was uh, such an important uh, piece of R&D development for them as a company um, and what they were able to achieve with it in the crucible of racing. Nothing wrong with any of that. But it all goes back to what you said and what Grace has said ad nauseum. Grace and I, when we talk about it, has it done anything to improve the racing? or make more exciting racing. And I think yeah. those are the margins in which we're arguing. Yeah, and it's like, where, how much money do you need to spend? To, to do that. Yeah. To, 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 yeah, I mean, it's as I said, it's just a big bloated baby. You can't, it's, it's, I don't know how you, other than ripping up the rules and starting again, and everyone's, oh, I don't want to, you know, we're going to have to lay people off with the restrictions and all this kind of stuff. And it's yeah. like, yeah, well, that, that's tough, but yeah. I don't know. It's it's too big for what it it's, it is, you know, yeah. or what it should be. It, and, and I think you can do the same thing with fewer people. It's just you have those fewer people have to be smarter, you know. You know uh, and, and a good wants- example of that, you're, you're a perfect example of that. You're getting ready to go march off to war at a fraction of their budget. And there's a 98% chance that you and the rest of the grid in Daytona and Sebring and the rest of the calendar are going to put on some terrific racing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're all under under budgets and, you know, we can only have, you know, we've got a budget for 18 people to put this car on the track and get it round and not screw up. So everyone's having to do multiple jobs. But ultimately, the car's going to get out there on the grid and it's going to race. And most of the teams are in the same position and yeah. you're still going to have a race and the cars are going to be cool and it's going to be great. So um, there's definitely a, there's definitely needs to be a, a reset so to speak, uh, how do you do it with, you know, how do you control that from the big teams just throwing money and people at everything? And, and you know, God knows how much money they spend per, you know, tenth of a second improvement, but it's a hell of a lot, right? Yeah, the, it's other, a ton. the smaller teams just can't can't compete with i mean looking at the past we look at you know we used to have pre-qualifying in formula one Mm -hmm. that was something i probably should have mentioned you know way back when in the 80s you had pre-qualifying you had to people the teams had to get there at seven in the morning they had one session and the top four teams from 10 trying to get actually into the f1 weekend then had to pre-qualify they just had the one session to do it and then they they were allowed to actually 
try and qualify for the actual race. I mean, what happened between that time when everyone and their uncle wanted to have an F1 team and could um, to now where barely anyone would even contemplate it? Yeah, and it's not because the difference between now and then isn't because these cars use petrol. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's not the difference, you know. Um, yeah, very, very, very uh, strained, bloated series that is uh, I think it's interesting in the sense that it's all now gone so far to its irrational conclusion of of being a series that is fully self-funding and and it's a big business and it's you know I'm not poking uh, too sharp a sticks at it certainly you could argue uh, that stick and ball sports is uh, very similar to some of these franchises uh, uh, you know they're they're all there they exist to exist and and uh, and the sport just happens to be their day-to-day business and I get all that but um, uh, what I'm more concerned with is that uh, they're not putting fielding uh, an exciting event, you know, and and I and I like you said earlier, I, I, I'm concerned about what their concept of an exciting event is. Um, it's not prolific 600 passes per race and every single race has to be like, you know, a grand finale, um, you know, Super Bowl. It's just not. Yeah, that's not what I expect. So, double points every race. Double points, yeah. <laughs> Medals and shortcuts and sprinklers. So sprinklers. Yeah, I exactly. for sprinklers. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so anyway, well, that's mine. Now I dump. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chum. Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The F1 body out in the middle of the night and here comes the ghost of F1 future. What do you think, Grace? I, I like that I get to be the really scary one. You right? are the scary one. You your cloak over your head. Yeah, remember Scrooge? <laughs> hey, back off, big man. That may work for the ladies, but it doesn't for me. I don't know. It's, you know, my my Louis X. Tommy hoodie here, you know. <laughs> Only the most fashionable cloak for, cloak for the uh, future gifts, right? That's awesome. I don't actually own one. Please do not, uh, you know. <laughs> But if she if she did, don't judge. That's right. That's right. Because you know, I'm sure it's very lovely stuff that Hilfiger guy puts together a nice nice sweatshirt. Yeah, Lawrence Stroll likes it. He sure does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that kind of clothing Grace bought Mont Blanc. 
Yeah. <laughs> and bought Lance a ride. It's yeah. true. <laughs> that idiot just put it on in front of me. Now I'm going to do the same thing. I'll <laughs> show him. That's right. That's right. So I think, you know, so sort of the premise, right, of the ghost of the future was that, you know, right, if Formula One doesn't change its ways, what will happen to it? Yeah. And so I think that, you know, both the past and the present have been leading into this. And so I think that to me, the biggest thing, the like sort of umbrella over all of my bullet points or is that if F1 doesn't change, it will no longer remain relevant as a sport, right? The race, like you just said, right? Like, I feel like every week I'm like, well, is the racing good? Does this make the racing better? Mm -hmm. Right? You have to start with that base product, right? So I think that's where um, the cost of the series fits in. And I think that's where... Um, you know, the technology and rules fits in because mm -hmm. who's paying for it decides what makes it relevant, which then makes it decide how much it's going to cost. Um, and you have to build rules around, you know, keeping it relevant as well. So I think that, and I think, you know, uh, when I chastised Paul earlier, I think, right, I think that there is a lot of information that isn't being shared with the fans. And you mentioned this as well, Todd, right? Like you have this ability now, there's this platform of streaming content and that people will pay for this. And so I think that a lot of other sports have really taken advantage of finding a way of bringing all these, you know, bringing the car back into it and, you know, allowing to have, you know, uh, additional analytics, right? Where you could play the producer, right? You could see all the coverage and you can watch it from this angle and this angle and you could, um, you know, watch, um, the, the different, um, types of uh, racing or from different mm -hmm. cameras that you wanted. And I think that where the fans come into this is that I think, and this isn't an F1 problem only, but that we have to get over this fear of just, you know, speaking to the lowest common denominator. And if you really want your broadcast to just be the lowest common denominator, then you have to make your, your paywall content better, right? You have to have this ability to present it at different levels and, you know, Drive to Survive has been successful, and it's about the human element. But if I can be interested in a conflict between Christian Horner and, you know, Cyril Bitbull, I could also be interested in the double diffusers if you package it correctly, right? Like, mm -hmm. if you really explained it to me in a way that I could understand, because, of course, it's complicated, but all sports have some level of complexity to them. And... Um, I think you could have like drive to survive the engineering version. And I think we saw that with the McLaren special. I think that they were able to kind of show you why, right. It matters that your engineer, that your engine fits in your car. Yeah, you can't just put point. any engine in there. Right. Like, yep. and how all these different people play a part into the actual racing, as opposed to just talking about the drivers. Right. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot, um, uh, a lot going on there. And if people aren't interested in these, you know, why do you have all these flappy bits on there? Why does that help? And I think that you now have that ability both um, technologically and you have this, you know, this platform of streaming media that you could just like, it's like Steve Matchett's chalk talks on like, you know, to the 10th degree. Like you could really do something here with that content, which is what I always thought Matchett does really well. Um, or, you know, Ant Davidson, if you gave him a little more time, you know, in two days to put together something instead of like during the race, this little bit at the end, what kind of content could we have? I think other sports have really found a way to use uh, additional content to really uh, increase the interest of the sport um, to fans. And, and to that point, I, I Grace, you, you mentioned about that going forward, if they don't change that. And I kind of feel like you, you brought up um, this and it just sparked 
this thought in my yeah. head while I was listening. <clears throat> you know, in the past, when NBC had it or Speed or whoever it might be, for the American market, they were always broadcasting to the least common denominator. And every every race weekend was starting from scratch and explaining qualifying, explaining this and that. As, as the entire broadcast package just for several years – as I always called it, is seeker-sensitive, right? They were seeking new mm-hmm. viewers, right? And I, I, it irritated the hardcore fans, I mean, to death. You know, we mm-hmm. couldn't stand it. But there was a part saying, okay, fine, you're trying to get new viewers and stuff. It's interesting, in the last year or two, now that, that Formula One has been just rebroadcasting Sky's product on their streaming service which i think is odd but Mm -hmm. sky is now the host they haven't done anything to dumb down the broadcast at all and yet espn's viewership in america are way up and it's what you and i've talked about in the past stop patronizing those Mm -hmm. even new viewers don't want to be patronized but and it's also what leads you to ask questions right so I think that's important too. So, you know, I talk about when we went to Austin, you know, 8,000 years ago and I, you know, could sit in different corners with, with Paul and we just walked around the track and it was really helpful because he, he has the eye. And so he's able to say, well, you know, if you watch him come through this turn, you're going to see how he has to set it up way over here in order to get it right over there. Right. And now you can watch how that guy missed that turn. And, you know, and so you could really visually see the things people talk about, like, right. You know, they say things like, you know, oh, Lewis is really good with tire management. What does that mean? How do how am I able to see that? Right. Like, how can I see the difference between, you know, uh, somebody who's good at it and somebody who's not good at it? What does that mean to people? And so I think and especially because you have now um, the video game uh, technology, right, that you can show, you know, I think like the Madden experience really opened up football to people because not everybody right. played football. And so you could, I learned more about football playing the tutorial of Madden than I ever did from watching football because they never tell you those things. Right. So I think you have that same ability that you could show additional content, not just using actual racing, but using, you know, the video game visuals as well. They're, they're, they're pretty strong now. And some, honestly, right, some YouTubers have to do that because they can't use race race coverage, right? Yeah, like, right, uh, right. So that's its own problem, too. I think that that's another thing. Uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the coverage and that once you put that content out there, it's out there, right, with Drive to Survive. But I think that other sports have embraced that content in a way that I think Formula One's been behind. Because what good is it if I can't say, oh, my God, you should have seen this moment, and I can't show it to people, right? Because that's how you're going to get people interested interested in it. But I think that there's a lot of things that they could learn or see even from other racing series. Like what is IndyCar doing well? What is Formula E got going on? What is, you know, MotoGP got going on? Like how could we make this better? And really, even if you just do something simple like no matter what time I watch the race, I could turn on, you know, telemetry and it would match, right? I you know, and I don't know what's available in other countries necessarily or what, you know, what um all the paid content that you could get, but you know, it, it wouldn't have to be necessarily something um, entirely, you know, uh, ginormous. You could just start out with some simple things that I think would really um, help. You know, right, um, right, right. Watching a race with live timing and scoring is really necessary, right? Like that makes a big difference um, in your racing yeah, it does. experience. But I think that 
I, I think trying to get back to the, you know, if if Formula One doesn't think about these things, if they don't think about how much the sports cost, if it doesn't think about who's paying, you know, who's where they're getting their money from, if they don't think about what's going to keep the fans engaged, they're going to become no longer relevant. I think it's that a great it point, matter Grace, what the product is. In the sense, and you brought it up at the, at the lead <laughs> into your segment, was, you know, who pays for it is, is mm-hmm. who makes it relevant, right? Right. And has a lot to do with its relevancy, right? Right. And one of those elements is is really about how bifurcated it really is on who's paying. You know, mm-hmm. the teams are paying a tremendous amount to, to field a race car, to field a team, and to travel the world racing. Formula One is spending a tremendous amount on promoting the sport broadcasting the sport having all the infrastructure the fia is there to, to do they're not spending as much but they're still there spending quite a bit of money to regulate the sport uh the sponsors you know the problem is is that everyone has a different concept of what relevancy mm-hmm. looks like right and i think that you know that's where if i was liberty media that's where i'd want to step in right like what do i want Right. the future of the sport to look like where do i want this money to be spent that is going to be most judicious for i don't know you know as a fan of course i wanted to be better racing going to races you know i i do worry about um you know they're moving more and more races you know every year so it's like at some point you're going to like you know dilute the product and and there's just going to be so many races that people won't they'll just watch you know austria and they won't watch you know hungry yeah. anymore where, where do we think the limit is on how many races are too many or too few uh, you know most of the teams mm-hmm. and everything is saying 21 that's it yeah maybe 22 but 21 and and they've you know in my mind they've got to be looking at their PL, thinking if mm-hmm. i have to go to three more races or four more races um yeah then my balance my balance sheet doesn't work I how does that work anyway do you think because I'm not even sure about that, of how many... They add these races. Do they add money to the pot at the end of the year for the teams to draw from? Because ultimately, if you're a race team and you have to race mm-hmm. eight races versus 18 races, you know, your budget's obviously relatively Gone. massively different. And yeah, the I'm assuming have to be someone completely different, right? Yeah, and I'm assuming that you know, those additional tracks and the sanctioning fees they get from those additional races all goes into the prize money. I also think some amount of that is also not just the number of races, but the quality of the racetracks we go to. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, right. you know, I, I think you can always find somebody who's willing to pay for a track, you know, use Russia as an example, right? Like, do we really want to watch that race? No. So we need yeah. fewer rushes, right? There's a, there's a could we or should we sort of thing. Right. Could we? Yes. Should we? Maybe not. Maybe not. You know? Um, yeah. That, but that's that a, takes restraint. <laughs> well, yeah, it right. does. It does. And when you're trying to maximize, and here's the other problem, is not to step on your future uh, uh, segment, Grace, but the other problem is, is that most of the teams now, uh, apart from Zach, over at McLaren, most of these teams, and maybe Lawrence, uh, but most of these teams now aren't going at it like they're killing snakes trying to get sponsors anymore. They're all just living off the prize money, you know, for a big chunk of their operating costs. Yes, they've got some sponsors, and that's that's great. But you remember in the heyday, mm-hmm. I mean, they were going out 
big time with marketing departments trying to bring in as many sponsors as they could and big sponsors. You know, Ron Dennis, the concept of the title sponsor just doesn't exist anymore. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Vodafone McLaren just that doesn't exist anymore. But but I think for if if we could ever entice another Formula One team into the group, you kind of need that. You need a base structure of income that the team can still survive right. with, which right. which some teams obviously you know the HRTs and whatever never never could right because That's they true. ultimately had to spend more money than and and still couldn't be competitive. But um, I mean, yeah, you should you should be able to be able to make the track get a car and have a decent amount, you know, of employees to actually function properly. Um, and the additional sponsorship should be the add-ons to make you ultimately successful. But uh, right. Yeah, and I'm not poo-pooing the prize money concept because you're absolutely right. Without that prize money, um, you know, some of these smaller teams would be very, very difficult for them to even be in Formula 1. I guess the point is now it's become so, I guess – difficult that the teams are just all working within this ecosystem you know the yeah. F1 revenue right. ecosystem instead of going out and finding lots of other sponsors and external revenue streams to bring in and now zach brown has but yeah. to his credit but that you know zach's a marketing you know dude that's what he does right. so i think there's that element of it too that that gets hijacked in the equation, as you start to think about adding more races and more prize money, you're mm-hmm. going to have to add more prize money because these teams are relying on it to even afford, you know, to drive to travel around to three additional races. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? yeah, yeah, we definitely need more quality. And Grace is right. You know, some of these tracks, it's you know, we're not looking forward to them. No. <laughs> you know, Abu Dhabi for one. You yeah. know, like, oh, do I really have to do a track talk for this? You know, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, we joked about that. Like, you know. Uh, the drive to survive, like, wow, who knew Baku was so interesting, right? Like, yeah. wow. You know, they really found a way to really sell some of those tracks. They were just like, I don't, I think drive to survive producers watched a different race than I did. Well, you know? that's just it. That's what I was alluding to is uh, yeah, they yeah. come up with some nice Game of Thrones style screenwriting to make you actually give a damn about 13th place. And in fact, Anyone that watches that, that gets turned on to Formula One and then tunes into the broadcast thing, I don't give a damn about 13th and neither does the broadcast crew. (laughs) Nobody talks about it. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that, you know, in Formula One, they always talk about how, you know, oh, well, you know, there's the spot in the middle where nothing happens, right? Like you can watch the first lap and when you have pit stops, you can watch the middle when you had, you know, uh, refueling. You know, pit stops are so important now, but, you know, and you can watch the last lap. That's true in all sports. I don't, I mean, maybe it just isn't so obvious in other sports, but no, you know, every basketball game has a third quarter, right? Like, and that's kind of like the low part where you bring the, the bench guys in because you have the, you know, your, your starters, you're resting them up to come in at the end right. so that, you know, the score is tight. So all sports have a ebb and flow to them. It's not like, you know, it's a hundred percent through the whole the whole thing right you know right. hockey or, or football or any other other sport has that sort of like ebb and flow to it and so so does formula one and why they never kind of like sell it that way or or show you like how you know that that of course but here's what they're you know here's what the pitch the pit wall is thinking about right now right here's what they're right. thinking about you know and again i think steve match always 
always did a nice, you know, impartial, right? But I think he always tried to do a nice job of that. Like, and if if I was, you know, um, Ross Braun, here's what I'd be thinking about right now. I'd be thinking about, you know, how many laps can I get on this? And where, you know, so getting that kind of like, what is a strategist thinking about on the wall would make it interesting. It would bring out, like Paul was saying, the, the chess game that right, is Formula right, right. One, right? right? Like, why are they making these decisions? What is now? I mean, even just explaining the undercut seemed to be like, a, a magical thing to to get people to to explain on TV. You know, it's like well, the Grace, we, we have the new graphics, the battle card graphics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, you know how much I love every new graphic they always put on the screen. I'm like, especially <laughs> the tire graphic is my favorite. Oh, the tire That's, graphic is awesome. Yeah, talk about the the Department of Misinformation. Good grief. Yes. <laughs> right. So I just oh, think get it, get it together. Like you have. I guess to me that is the biggest thing about if F1 doesn't like. Don't I feel like sometimes the graphics are like when everybody first learned how to use PowerPoint and they're flying things in and things are making noises and things are coming in and coming out. And it was like, just because you can do all these things in PowerPoint doesn't mean you should, right? How do you shut that thing up? It keeps riveting at me. Ribbit, ribbit. Right. So think about like what would be good data to present? Like what analytics would really help a person in, you know, lap 27 understand what's going on and show that. Don't just fly things in because you can, right? right. But it really takes um, some, you know, some thought on Liberty Media's side to really think about what would be, what would be useful in this moment to be talking about or what what could, you know, the announcers be talking about when there's a lull, you know, here here's four points that you could be talking about when you find there's a lull in the racing instead of like, um, you know, making some weird jokes that I I mean, all sports that happens. I'm just like, why is this the segue you went with of all things right now? You're talking about it. You know, lap 52. This is what we're talking about. Oh, all right. Thanks, yeah. Crofty. Yeah, Crofty's talking about his, his marathon he just ran yeah. on the Friday. Yeah. Again. yeah, I was running around the track. You know, I always run the track. Yeah, I got it. You know, like, <laughs> save that for practice, right? Like, you have a little more free time and, and during the practice. But, like, during the race, it should just be all race content and you should just always have you know like some back pocket things that you're like all right we have a dead spot let's talk about this thing over here that we could be you know talking about or you well, know they, doing crop right? could speak less i'd take more pdr and more aunt davidson yes those I, two I, can unpack a race they can definitely. unpack timing and scoring and they can mm -hmm. unpack how to drive and what the car is doing in every single corner. And mm -hmm. I, I think P PDR and, and Ant do a fabulous job. I, I really do. Yeah. That's why I think Ant should get – so I was uh, talking before the show. So ESPN has this feature it's called Details, and they have one for basketball, which is Kobe Bryant, one for football that they use Peyton Manning. But it's they just take footage, right, and they just can break it down for you in like this you know mastermind kind of way that I'm like, whoa, I really never thought about basketball that way. But now that you mentioned it, oh, that really was an interesting thing. You know, I like give Ant Davidson two days, or you know, De La Rosa. Give him two days, give him a race, and tell him you get fifteen minutes to present to people whatever you want. Go right. Hey, I would be that would be really informative. You know, you know and I the thing I was bummed out is because one of my favorite segments even before we got Sky was uh, Ted's Notebook mm -hmm. after each session, 
and and uh, you know Ted's quirky. He's got a unique uh, uh, sort of yeah. view of things, and it happens to resonate with me for whatever reason. And I really, really enjoy Ted's uh, 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 notebook. And then this year, it's like he's done just a couple, a few, but mm-hmm. not every race, every session. And you know that may be his choice, but he would be a good person just to do that too. Like you know, a couple days after the race, go through and unpack right. the race and Ted's. You know, you, mm-hmm. you know, you yeah. Know. I th- I th- I think there's an opportunity there from what you both you guys are saying is there's a lot of time between Grand Prix. Yes. And, you know, during a Grand Prix, maybe it, there's not, you know, you can't break away from the racing for Ann Davison to sit there and, you know, uh, chase you around and show you what an undercut or an overcut is. But there's lots of opportunities mm-hmm. in between the Grand Prix to focus on these things and better educate and, you know, take a, take a closer, slower look at some of the technologies that are involved in Formula One other than trying to cram it into a broadcast, right? So yeah. uh, I think that that's definitely something I would like to see in the future is for it not just to be practices, okay, we're, we're cutting off now, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, bye, everybody. See you in two weeks. You know, yeah. you need to keep the ongoing – because, you know, with sports like um, – basketball and hockey and everything there's you know there's a game every two days right so you're always right. engaged but it's very easy to people to switch off from formula one and actually oh i didn't know there was a grand prix this weekend because there was one two weeks ago and i just kind of lost the plot right so i think they need to do something to keep everyone engaged on a more consistent basis in between the races as well as during the races yeah i agree with that and i, and I think folks in the uk get that with sky sports f1 channel <laughs> But we don't get in the States, so that would be really good here. But anyway, um, so there you go. Anything else on your mind, Grace, before we jump out to actual Christmas Day? No, I just think, I think, as always, surprise, good racing. Ask yourself, Formula One, if I don't make this change, will it affect my, will it make my racing worse? Then don't do it, right? Right. Only do things that's going to make your product better. Right. So just like in uh, A Christmas Carol, the F1 Carol, then Scrooge wakes up on Christmas Day, he's just filled, he's overwhelmed with joy, and he goes out and he does all these wonderful things, and I thought it might be interesting to say, after the three of us showed F1, uh, the past, present, and future, what do we think F1 might do in the future? I just threw out a couple. Will the 2021 regulations work, or won't they? Uh, will the cost cap work or won't they? Or very much like the actual novel itself, will F1 treat Tiny Frank as its own child? <laughs> will Tiny Frank live? <laughs> will Tiny Frank make it? You know, will they provide lavish gifts to all their fans like, uh, like the book? Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, will the streaming service actually get an on-air team to offer all-day coverage via their streaming platform and start offering fans something other than just Sky Sports Feed? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So am I asking? I don't know. What do you guys I think? think? I think what I would want for Christmas Day is some actual 
professional stewards. Get some real rulemaking and stick with it and have professionals as your referees. Uh, that's a good point. I think this is I, I think that if you're gonna remain relevant, <laughs> you have to get some enough of this like, oh, that's the guy from AAA that voted for me, so he gets to be the race steward at Austin. Like <laughs> what how is that a sport? You know, and so and I get it that Formula One is different. You can't just pause, you can't go to a commercial right and while they freaking it out. But hire more people, right? Like even stick and ball sports, right? It's not just the three referees on the basketball court that are making these decisions. They have guys in Newark, you know, that are looking at video. You know, how many people must watch an NFL footage, you know? And, and as you mentioned, right, like the teams have these people, right? The teams are doing it. Yeah. Why isn't the FIA doing it? Why is there so much... You know, like well, they'll say they'll say cost, but I've been saying this thing for ten years at least. Come on, that they need it's, it's official sports. stewards that are consistent across the board. And this goes to Paul, your comment that if there's no punitive damages for running off track, right? And you're going to try to now assess damages through micromanagement and, and um, uh, penalties, then the problem is is that you don't have a consistent penalty machine, right? right. How about instead of two extra races next season, you get some professional referees, problem solved. Right. Well, but see, those, you know, this is all part of the FIA politics because these motoring clubs, you know, pay a lot of money to be members of the FIA and they vote for Jean Tot or whoever the president is. Yeah. And uh, so throwing them a bone by letting their, you know, head cheeses of these auto clubs come so in and be guest stewards is, you know. Have uh, a mix. This like guest driver, like this week. David Coulthard is going to help these four dudes that have never watched Formula One before. Yeah, yeah. Sport. That's yeah. not real either, right? So if you still yeah. want to give them, some I say let them wave the flag since the checkered flag is coming back. I say I, I say you have them stand in, in in at the front of the grid instead of the carding kids. There yes. you go. Yes, have the motoring club stand up there. Stand next to Lewis Hamilton. That's right. This is Carol and Fred of the AAA Auto Club from Nebraska. And uh, they're here at the front of the grid. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> you know, pass out the trophies. There has to be some other way than being yeah. the stewards that will reward these individuals. Like, It's a bit of an important job to just give away yes. if someone was here. here. Correct. Very yeah. important. So get it together. Get it I together agree. for them. I agree. Yeah. All right. That's what it hey, is. You, you asked me what yes. I want. Yeah. Yes. I want, I want the technology inside the car to be simplified so the driver has to take control of issues with the car rather than just flicking the buttons and changing the multi you know 20 different diff settings and everything like that and have a driver and the team have to come up with a car that is simply one setting and then the driver has to adapt his style to how the car changes during a stint during a race. And therefore, you actually lead less people, <laughs> um, oddly enough, looking at monitors because they can't actually affect the change of what's going on there. Yes, so yeah. I think there's way too much adjustability in the car to try and get it perfect every time. And uh, guys like Nigel Mansell would probably not flourish anymore because – you know, he could take a car by the scruff of the neck and do things with it when it wasn't quite the best it could be. But now the drivers are so pandered by the multitude of settings that they yeah. put into the car to adjust itself for every single scenario it's going through. It happens to be something Lewis is good at, too, you know. Uh, but we don't re so, regularly get to see that. Go ahead, Grace. 
No, I was just going to say, so Jean Todd listens to this, right? Like, sure he does. You're going to wrap this podcast up and send it to France <laughs> because I think we've solved it. We have. We've what a totally novel idea, it. Paul, right? A car that actually you just drive it. What a, what a novel idea. <laughs> I like it. Let's try that. I like the concept of a simpler, easier, uh, 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 you know, a kinder, yeah. gentler form of one. And treat Tiny Frank nice. Yes. Nice. Yes. If you're not treating Tiny Frank nice, then that's, you know, ah! it's not good. That's right. All right. Let's hand out some special podcast awards. Not the normals. No, we're going to stick with the holiday theme. And the first award I want to give out is the, uh, what am I going to give out? I'm going to give out the Rudolph Award. All right. The Rudolph Award goes to the person or event who really led the way in 2019 and was a standout in the crowd. Grace, who did you have? So I actually am going to give this award to multiple people. So I think that we have a very solid cohort of young drivers finally in Formula One. Like I feel Mm -hmm. like that, you know, with Albon and Verstappen and Leclerc and Russell and Lando Norris, like there's there's a there's a good and Kabisa. Hulkenberg, no. Oh. Christian Albers. Oh, I just think that we've seen this this you know this group of like four or five yeah. guys are really making it interesting. They really sort of get the social media game. They're really yeah. strong drivers. It's made it. I, I feel like the the future of the sport, driver wise, is is there. So That's they good. get the well, Paul. Mine was very similar to Grace. As I said, I, I give it to F one and the teams for realizing that creating behind the scenes content and bringing their fans closer to the engine room of the F one ship is a good idea and garners emotional engagement it's something bernie never did and time will tell if their diluted content gets you know gets diluted even more but it really is this this uh, what you know what uh, lando and what the rookies have done with social media and a lot of the content that are generating uh, that's a lot of fun and i and i think that that's kind of leading the way in which you know formula 1 as you said it's a big bloated thing and it's difficult to turn quickly so but i i feel like these youngsters are moving the sport into the direction it it will go from a marketing and social media and outreach standpoint yeah, no, I agree. Actually, I was going to just pick Leclerc just because he was a standout, and I was that was mm-hmm. probably a bit boring. And but I think actually what Grace said was actually really important was yeah. that um, the the opportunity that's been open to the drivers now has been taken by the scruff of the neck by these young guys, and they've got personalities. They're allowed to show them, and um, it's it's high, highly entertaining. And and it's what's more entertaining is to know that they're complete goof offs. You know, yeah. and they're 17 or 18 year old kids, but they jump in a Formula One car and just thrash the living heck out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's so impressive. And I, I really enjoy what what we do have in the future with the driver's side, for yeah. sure. And we just need to fix the car side and the sports side, but the drivers yeah. are there. And yeah. give a little credit out there, because honestly, it all kind of started... You know, with Lewis and his social media presence, Fernando has a massive, and he he posted some funny stuff. You know, Fernando Ooh. did, but and it's what we loved about Dan Ricardo, right? Mm-hmm. He was a goofball. He was he's always having a great time, but he gets in that car, he's brutal. But uh, uh, and these rookies have just taken the whole thing up a notch. I mean, it's just yeah, it's fun to watch. 
Good stuff. All right. Well, the next award is the Grinch Award, which is the award for a person or event that was a real drag on the series. The Grinch Award. All right, Grace. Oh, I get to go first for our, both do. of them? I, <laughs> wow. All right. Well, you know, no pressure, right? <laughs> so I am going to give the Grinch Award. I thought Vettel was very Grinchy this season. <laughs> <laughs> you think he was? Just a little little Grinchy. Just a little Grinchy this season. So. Oh, I'm out. <laughs> oh, think of the children. So, I mean, I so Vettel was the first person that came to my mind. And then I think Haas is also always very Grinchy. So I also feel like, you know, as a team, Haas should get the, the, the Grinchy nod. Oh, okay. I think Carl's very always- Grinchy. Very yes. Grinchy. <laughs> Steiner, I don't know. Is he Grinchy? I guess, yeah, he's pretty Grinchy. Yeah, he is. Yeah. All the who's and no, Whoville. That's right. Looking <laughs> around, looking up from the mountain, yeah. hating on other people. Although Fonz Toast if you want to interview him <laughs> on the pit wall, right? Oh, great. You're a mean one, Gunther Steiner. <laughs> you have termites in your smile. <sighs> Paul, who'd you pick? Well, I picked on something we kind of talked a little bit about earlier. I'm gonna. I picked uh, Paul Ricard, Abu Dhabi. You pick it. The, the <laughs> as, as Grace was so scared and frightened of more of these tracks coming along. But uh, let's uh, let's just take those tracks out of the equation, can we? And and excited that we're going to Zandvoort and places like that. Kind of going back to some older tracks that maybe they can't completely redesign with 5 billion miles of runoff. But uh, yeah, don't, don't enjoy <laughs> those tracks and the tra- races generally follow that theme. It's a shit box. Yes. Well, I hate to pull rank on you guys, but for me, the biggest Grinch and drag on the series this year has to be the passing of Nikki, Charlie and Antoine. Yeah. I think that was just took the wind out of the season yeah. sales in a lot of ways. You know, it's just uh, uh, sorry to be a downer, but you know, it's tough, tough year mm-hmm. for Formula One in a lot of ways, and uh, certainly yeah. losing Nikki was uh, difficult. Just stunned uh, losing Charlie, and um, I was in the middle of a of a season preview presentation here in St. Louis when Charlie died. So when that broke, so just brutal. Brutal year. So that's my Grinch Award. And finally, we're going to give the Santa Award. All right. Paul, I'm going to lead with you. Okay. I'm going to take this one and run with it. DRS failing. (laughs) That's Awesome. Well done, Paul. As I said, I feel it's been failing ever since it was brought into the sport, but it literally failed. And unfortunately, it wasn't the best track in the world for it to fail, but at least it did. And I was able to just watch uh, the racing unfettered without having to bias between one pass or the next. And we we did see some interesting and hard racing and some, you know, something people don't get to try every now and again because they're just waiting for their DRS zone to pass. So that was a nice thing to have at the end of the season. We had to see Valtteri get creative and to his credit he did yeah yeah so it was uh yeah i agree grace what'd you come up with 
Oh, I feel like the Santa award has to go to Lando Norris. Ah, yes, Lando. I feel like that, I've, I mean, maybe this is the same as the Rudolph Award. Maybe I haven't made enough separation between these two, but I think that of the, like, the new future of Formula One, I think that he's just really been uh, a standout for being, you know, part of the, like, uh, you know, the Ricciardo kind of joking around, but yet has, has a solid season as a rookie. So I think that... And he's very funny on, you know, the Instagram. So that's good. It's a well out well, package. You know, Clark, the, the that, new pool he's boy. The, he's the yeah. gift that keeps on giving year round. Well, um, you know, I, although I am still Team Chili, so don't, you know, Chili right. twenty twenty. Like that's it's not going away. Well, Grace, this is going to make you happy because my Santa award goes to McLaren. Uh, what? <laughs> I know. I know. I it's it's. You know, what can I say? A huge hat tip to Zach Brown and yeah. the entire team for what they've done in changing the team's competitiveness, uh, as well as bringing a new, fresh approach to media and marketing with Lando and and uh, Sergio and, and uh, psh, Carlos, sorry. I said Sergio. <laughs> it's like, what? Do you like my face? Like no, Sergio, not talking about you. I I'm talking about Carlos. You something, something I didn't know. Like, whoa, that's some <laughs> breaking here. here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Carlos, uh, so love what those two are doing and all the, yes. the marketing and content that team's generating. And uh, just, yeah, hats off to them. It's a great And get turnaround. the points. They're yeah. no longer, you know, the, they're almost the perhaps. Rest. Yeah. Not yeah. whatever Renault was. Best of the back. But in the middle somewhere. So. Yeah. On occasion. Yeah. On occasion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's right crazy. on. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Santa Ward. And then finally, we got some mailbag. You got mail. I just wanted to read this. I thought Mike uh, brought up a good point. Mike said, uh, having been a rabid F1 fan since uh, as a kid, I followed JYS. I've seen a massive shift in F1 marketing in the last 24 months. Have you? Bernie's uh, realm locked it all down, and Lewis and the renegade who broke out, although apparently he received a lot of F1 management parking tickets in doing so. So, so along comes Liberty. Now we have the Netflix series Drive to Survive. We have Lando and Alex playing jokes on each other, secret Santa F1 gift exchange, all kinds of insight and media and drivers contests and just a lot of social engagement. So maybe for some, this is not their cup of tea, but I've witnessed several new F1 fans come in this year and it was because of this new model. Uh, it, it fit perfectly to assist them in entering the DNA of the sport with an emphasis on the driver's personality. So this is this a genius move with Liberty, you think? Uh, unintentional? Is this the magic F1 sustainability model to engage new fans finally found? Uh, he says, you are the best carry-on. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, appreciate your kind words. Um, I, I think it was absolutely all intentional, and I think uh, when Liberty lightened up on what the teams could do with social media in and outside of the paddock, um, I think the team's marketing departments have really picked up on this. Um, the drivers have really picked up on this, and I think they're starting to enjoy sort of the community that they're seeing built around them now, um, and they're having a lot of fun with that um i complained a couple of two or three years ago that formula one's team social media was just a bunch of social media directors having fun and inside jokes with each other that none of the fans really understood and i, I get it they're all in the paddock together and they're all buddies and i get that and they would 
you know, send tweets back and forth to each other and have fun with each other, but they didn't do really super engaging stuff with the community. And now the drivers have done that and the teams have sort of changed the way that they're approaching that community. So I absolutely think it's great, Mike. Uh, it's what I gave the award for. It's what Grace mentioned. Um, and I think it's terrific. Anything else you guys want to add? Nope. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I actually have a te- wait, wait, before you yeah. go, I actually have a technical question. So oh boy. whose idea was it? Was it Liberty Media that said, hey, Netflix, we have this idea? Or was it Netflix saying, hey, Liberty Media, what about this? You know like, who it was. Oh, oh wow. yeah. It was the marketing lounge lizard himself, Sean Bratches. There you go. So what do, you, do you think that McLaren... Uh, deal that they did before kind of opened the door to it also or maybe made it easier? I, think, I don't know the filming timeline if they were being kind of done in around overlapping timelines or if the yeah. McLaren was a full season ahead. I can't recall off the top of my head. I think the McLaren thing, um, and if you haven't seen that and you have Netflix, definitely watch that because um, that's it's a really well done series. And, and I think it's and I think to Paul's point, I think that McLaren showed that you can have a not great season and still have a great product at yeah. the end of the day, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So because I think that would be my fear if I was Sean Branson, if I was Liberty Media, was that what if this makes my sport look worse? Well, that certainly didn't make McLaren look great, right? No. They had no. a right. lot of issues that season, so... And yeah, yet, the, only, really successful. the one I would say that I wanted to like but was on, was a bit cringy was the Williams one. Yes, that was a little uncomfortable. That was uncomfortable. And I, I walked could, away from that, you know, feeling really sorry for Claire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just did. And the, I, <laughs> and the brother who got screwed. Yeah, I, I felt <laughs> bad about that. And I and I walked away thinking, you know, tiny Frank, come on. <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. That, that one didn't work for me. But the McLaren uh-huh. one, um, and, I, you know, you know him, and you've known him for years, and I've interviewed him several times. I mean, Zach Brown is nobody's chump when it comes to promotion uh-huh. and marketing. No uh, way. Paul, and and yeah. you know him on a personal level, and um, you've, you're doing work with him. Um, and, you know, so for you, watching McLaren of old, working with McLaren, knowing Zach like you do, knowing what he's done in not only at McLaren, but in Formula One and then in sports car racing, which you've been around your whole life. You know, this is it's got to be kind of a neat change to see. It is great. I mean, he's you know, he understands the whole concept of it and he's young enough and he's he's. He knows what works and what doesn't work from a different avenue where everyone inside F1 have been so locked into, you know. And um, I think his his spin on things, he's he's willing to throw things against the wall and see see what works, you know. I mean, yeah. the whole Alonso deal with Indy and all this kind of stuff was just kind of the beginnings of how McLaren have kind of rewritten the book on promotion in a, such a different way than the regiment. It's such such a flip-flop from the McLaren of old, right? Nearly mm-hmm. 
complete opposite, really. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. And I think, you know, the, the little show that they showed their downside, but that's okay because, you know, then then they're nearly an underdog that you're rooting for, right? right. And uh, it wasn't like you, you, you despised them for failing. You felt bad for them for failing and wished them well in the future. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, maybe that garners more fans than anything, being, being that brutally honest instead of hiding it around a bunch of, you know, speak you know that everyone can see through but they but because it's out there you can't actually see what's actually going on realistically behind and uh, I, i'm not sure if they're ever going to make another one because now the netflix series is kind of carrying on that tradition and mm-hmm. now they're going into a different avenue with the with the lando and color science you know mm-hmm. with the instagrams with their little videos i think that's where they're going with it now that kind of the netflix has kind of done what they carrying on what they started so to speak no i agree i agree well it's all good stuff that's what we think about this holiday special and that's what if we were the ghost of christmas past present and future that's what we would show formula one in the hopes that it might have a change of heart on christmas day wake up and be full of joy and make the right decisions we hope they do uh, if they don't, don't blame us because we've shown them the way. But in all serious, folks, we, all of us here at TPF, and I know I echo uh, uh, Skip and everyone at Kingsbridge BCP, we want to wish you and your family the very best of holidays and thank you for the gift of your time. And for all of our patrons, the gift of your financial support, because we couldn't and wouldn't do this without you. So uh, thank you so much for those that have signed up for Patreon this month as a gift. We completely are indebted to you for that and very grateful for that. Paul and Grace, it has been awesome having you on the show and have a wonderful holiday season yourself. Um, I believe, Paul, you and I are threatening of doing a season review possibly next week. Is that right? Yeah, that is a big threat. It yes. is a big threat. I yes. don't know. <laughs> I think I think we can make it happen. All right, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll keep you posted. Yeah. But uh, Grace, you have a wonderful holiday season. Yeah, as you well. guys too. Yeah. And then if it doesn't get any better than that, then Grace will be in St. Louis in a week or so. And uh, hopefully uh, Grace and I will uh, get together, do a little recording if we can, and uh, uh, much merriment will uh, will ensue. So that That's should right. be fun. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Yay, Grace. Local Grace. Grace in That's person. Right. Yeah, That's, That's right. awesome. Excellent. All right. Well, until next week when we do it all over again, folks, have a wonderful holiday season. This is Todd, a.k.a. Negative Camber, saying so much. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. I don't really feel I've got to prove at all. I, I don't think I, I don't really want to prove anything. I started as an amateur not, uh, with no idea or no intention of uh, becoming world champion. It was I was curious to find out um, what it was like to drive a car fast, to drive on a certain circuit, to drive a certain type of car. 